Hello, I am Bob Bostock. You are listening to Discover DEP, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection's official podcast. Each week, we will provide you with timely information about how DEP protects and preserves New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. Please feel free to add this podcast to your iTunes or RSS feed. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. You can subscribe to future editions through iTunes and Google Play. Today we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Amanda Dye, Principal Zoologist in the Endangered and Non-Game Species here at DEP. Dr. Dye has uh, years of experience working with one of the most extraordinary birds, I think, that's out there, the red knot. In 1999, the red knot was listed as a threatened species here in New Jersey under the New Jersey Endangered Species Conservation Act. Then in 2016, the red knot was listed as threatened under the Federal Endangered Species Act. As part of their long annual migration, the red knot makes an important stopover in Delaware Bay to double their body weight before they continue migrating to breeding grounds in the Arctic. Mandy, so nice to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mandy, tell us a little bit about the red knot. Why is this bird important and uh, what makes it particularly unique and special? Okay, well, the red knot is not unlike the small sandpipers you see along the New Jersey coast, probing into the sand, pulling up little clams and, and worms. And in fact, you can see red knots along the New Jersey coast in August, September, October, doing that very thing, feeding up to uh, migrate on to other places farther south. I think the thing that makes them unique, along with the group of sandpipers they belong to, is that they breed in the Canadian Arctic. They winter at the very farthest reaches of southern South America, and spend about eight months of the rest of the year in migration between those two locations. So they're making huge flights. I think red knot is one of the most uh, the studies we have studied uh, most vigorously, but it makes one of the biggest migrations of any shorebird in the hemisphere, about a 20,000-kilometer round trip each year. And to put that into some perspective, if you were a red knot that was 16 years old, you would have flown enough miles to go to the moon and back. So that's a pretty big uh, distance for an animal to travel in its lifetime. It sure is. So that 20,000 kilometers is about 9,000 miles? Yeah, thereabouts, thereabouts, maybe a little bit more. It's amazing. If we're out on the uh, out on a beach in the late summer and early fall, what do the red knots look like? How to describe it? What would we be looking for if we wanted to spot one? Well, in late summer or early fall, you'd see a bird that was molting out of its bright red salmon-colored plumage all over its head and, and belly and breast to a bird that's now becoming uh, more pale, pale gray and white blue. New Jersey is known for its rest stops along the turnpike particularly. The red knot makes a very important rest stop here in New Jersey on its migration. Where does it stop and, and why? Well, let me, let me address that by putting it in a little bit of a context. Because red knots make these big flights, they rely on a bunch of different stopovers, ranging from all the way from Tierra del Fuego, Argentina, Brazil, the Caribbean, and all of the U.S. states from Florida to Maine. The thing that makes uh, Delaware Bay so important is that we have the world's largest population of spawning horseshoe crabs. And those crab eggs, full of fat and protein, are a unique food resource at a unique point in this bird's life cycle, right before it breeds, and they all come to Delaware Bay. So we have the hemisphere's population of red knots in Delaware Bay almost all at one time, 
feeding on horseshoe crab eggs, trying to double their body weight just before they breed. So it's it's that critical, this critical place, these critical crab eggs that make New Jersey and Delaware, i.e. the Delaware Bay, so important for red knots. And what are we doing to make sure that the food supply is adequate for the red knots when they make their stop in Delaware Bay? New Jersey DEP has always recognized its responsibility for these species, in particular red knots. Uh, we know that the bay is a vital link in this bird's migration stopover. The bird is listed in, as endangered in Canada, threatened in the United States. Brazil and Argentina also have this bird protected as, as a listed species. But New Jersey and Delaware and the Delaware Bay are one of the uh, critical links in this bird's migration. So DEP started early. Biologists started working on the important link between horseshoe crabs and shorebirds in the late 1990s. When we recognized that horseshoe crab overharvest was leading to weight losses in red knots and the decline in their numbers, Governor Whitman imposed a moratorium on harvesting of horseshoe crabs in 1999. It was followed by another moratorium on crabs in 2006 and 7 when we saw that they weren't recovering from harvest reductions. And then finally, 2008, uh, the legislature enacted a permanent moratorium until crabs and shorebirds recover, which was a huge step. And so I think in New Jersey, we've always recognized our unique and important role in conserving the species and have always acted well beyond our political boundaries to make sure we've done that. New Jersey is not the only state, and the United States isn't the only country that is involved in the effort to uh, protect the red knot and ensure that it has feeding grounds and the habitat it needs to thrive. I understand this is an international effort. Tell us a little bit about the involvement of other states and countries in the effort to protect the red knot. Well, it's a really interesting story, actually, and one that started before I became a biologist with uh, the project. But back in the 1980s, biologists with New Jersey DEP were doing shorebird counts on Delaware Bay. They recognized the bay was an important stopover. They knew it was related to horseshoe crab eggs. And so they'd been studying shorebirds mainly by doing counts and documenting the numbers and species. They then realized that human disturbance was an issue and so began about the business of documenting how disturbance was impacting birds and implementing management to minimize human disturbance by enacting seasonal restrictions on beach access, making viewing platforms so people could see birds and horseshoe crabs without disturbing bird foraging. In the mid-1990s, when horseshoe crab overharvest became a problem, a happy coincidence happened in that, I think in 1997, a group of biologists, one from Australia, one from Canada, and one from Great Britain were following red knots from Argentina up their migration flyway and then landed these three fellows in New Jersey in the office of Larry Niles, who was then the chief of the Endangered Species Program, and they helped him understand how critically important the Delaware Bay was. We had nearly the entire population of red knots here during May. Together they started a collaborative, intensive shorebird research project in 1997. 2016 was the 20th year of that project. And mainly, we still have the same, those same researchers are coming to the Bay. Uh, one of them has passed away, Alan Baker, two years ago. Clive Minton, from Australia, is now 81. He's been coming since he was 61. And Humphrey Sitters, from Great Britain, has also been coming for 20 years. So that's just a couple of the international researchers that come to our shores each year to help us study shorebirds. Um, we have a gentleman from New Zealand, we have folks from uh, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, as far away as Taiwan, and um, gosh, Kenya, have come to help us ban shorebirds and, and learn about them, and going back to their own countries with this knowledge and information. 
part of the way we get information about the migration pattern and the feeding pattern is by banding some of the birds. What's the oldest uh, red knot that we found as a result of the banding? Well, there are some pretty old birds, but uh, mostly they, on average, live between 8 to 12 years. But some of the oldest birds was the famous P95, which was banded in Argentina by our colleague Patricia Gonzalez. That bird was known to, I believe, be about 19 or 20 years old. It was last seen the year before, the year before last, so that would have been 2014 uh, on Delaware Bay. The fact that we haven't seen it in the last two years may mean that P95 is uh, gone from this world, but there's always a chance he could show back up. Uh, that happens sometimes. Now, I understand that you have actually traveled up to the Arctic to the breeding grounds of the Red Knot. Tell us about that trip. That must have been fascinating. The work in the Arctic followed on the heels of the start of the Delaware Bay work, and it was in response to criticism from commercial fishery interests that, well, how do you guys know that horseshoe crabs are so important? How do you know Red Knots aren't declining because of conditions on the Arctic breeding grounds or problems in South America, in Tierra del Fuego, or any place in between? So, of course, you know, rightfully, we uh, started up uh, work to try and understand what was going on in the Arctic and in South America. Now, the Arctic is unlike anything you've ever seen. It is huge, it's vast, it's beautiful, it is barren as a moonscape, but yet the life there is incredible. The birds sing in the middle of the night because that's when it seems the coolest and uh, most easy to hear because the wind dies down, but it's just an incredible place. If you ever have the chance to go, I highly recommend it. And you had a chance to uh, see the red knots right in their breeding ground. That must have been very interesting to watch. Well, if you can find them, yeah. They're, uh, they're not a, a species that nests in dense colonies like terns do or other species. A very high-density red knot breeding area would be one bird per square kilometer. So I think the first year of our work it really was a learning curve trying to figure out how to find these birds on their nests because they won't get up until you almost step on them. They're very cryptic. They'll, they'll hold tight to that nest. And so it took us a bit of time to figure out our study strategy, but very quickly we were able to uh, start finding nests in our study area and monitoring the nesting density of these birds, which declined over a period of about a decade. While the other species that nested alongside red knots but don't use Delaware Bay did just fine. They weren't declining at all. From the time that a red knot uh, hatches out of its egg to the time it goes on that vast migration. How long does that take before they're big enough and old enough to make that incredible trip? It's an interesting story, and, and men will appreciate this, and so will women. When red knots will lay eggs, and the male and female both incubate, uh, they take about 18-hour shifts just sitting on those eggs for long periods of time while the other bird goes off and feeds. Incubation takes about 18 to 20 days. The birds hatch, and the females leave. They go on south and start migrating to places like coastal New Jersey, Massachusetts, Virginia, and the males stay behind with the chicks, and they do all of the rearing and protecting and brooding and helping the chicks uh, find food. Now, the chicks are not like birds in a nest that the adults feed. As soon as they're hatched, within 24 hours, they're up on their feet, and they're walking around behind the adult eating insects off the ground and eating aquatic larvae, those kinds of things. So it takes them about 21 days to get their flight feathers and be able to fly, and then shortly thereafter, the males and hopefully four chicks uh, leave the Arctic and start migrating southward. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. 
Gosh, 21 days. The kids are on the road. Right. The shores of New Jersey coast and other coastal areas in the U.S. right about the time of peak recreation season. So mid-July and, and August, when birds are trying to find places to feed, they have to compete with beach users. They have a tough road to hoe. How has the population of red knots done since the first ban was instituted on the horseshoe crab harvesting back in 1999 by Governor Whitman? Well, it's been kind of a slow, long dance. The harvest reductions have been incremental. Uh, over time, red knot numbers were declining from the period of 1997 to about 2004, where they reached a, a bottom of about uh, 15,000 birds in Delaware Bay. And they've been holding steady. We've improved our count methodologies. We think we've got about 25,000 birds in Delaware Bay, and it's been that way for the last seven or eight years. So stability is a good thing. Horseshoe crabs, the harvest reductions have been inching lower and lower and lower over time, but we're still at a, a point where they're harvesting enough crabs to keep that population from growing any larger. So those two populations, horseshoe crabs and red knots, are low but stable. So I think we've reached this low equilibrium where the crabs we have are enough to support the knots we have, but the crabs we have are not enough to start increasing the numbers of red knots. What can individuals do to help the red knots uh, survive and uh, to continue to rebound if we're out at the beach or, or other ways that people can help with this effort? Well, I'd say, you know, one of the most important things is, um, and you've all heard this before, is about sharing the coast. I think one of the most important things everybody could do is if you see shorebirds of any kind feeding in the surf, don't walk through them, just walk around them. Give them adequate space, leave them in place, let them feed undisturbed. That's probably the most important thing anyone could do in their daily life, and it would make a huge difference. Other things that folks could do are getting involved in uh, conservation work, actually getting involved to uh, do things like return the favor. It's a crab rescue program. Uh, folks are getting out there at night so that they're not disturbing shorebirds feeding in the day, and they're pulling horseshoe crabs out of rubble and, uh, and other impingement hazards. So they're saving breeding-age crabs, which take 10 years to sexually mature. It's not a small thing to save uh, a crab's life and give them an opportunity to lay more eggs or to make new crabs and to make shorebirds. So there's there's a number of ways people can get involved in different volunteer activities, and I highly recommend that because the truth is the state can't solve everybody's problems. It certainly can't solve the problem of shorebirds and horseshoe crabs, but the group that does the research on Delaware Bay, I'm the only paid staff there. We have about 20 to 25 people who come from around the world to help us, and they're all coming on their own time. So volunteers can really make the difference uh, in whether species recover and survive or whether they don't. So get out there, volunteer, get involved, be vocal. It's quite a responsibility you have as the only uh, paid staff person in this state dealing with this. In some ways, the red knot population is counting on you. And uh, having had the opportunity to talk to you and learn a little bit about your work, I think they are in very good hands. There's no doubt about it. They have a very effective and uh, strong advocate in the work that you do, Mandy, which is fantastic. What uh, last thought would you leave with our listeners before we conclude for today? You know, I'm always asked the question about what is the value of endangered species? How come uh, they should be held at equal value of economic interests or people's jobs? And you always hear that argument, jobs versus conservation. And, you know, from my view, it really is not that. Uh, each has its own value and each has its own place to exist. 
And it's a matter of scale. It's just a matter of thinking about the proper scale for economic interests and the proper scale of conservation and trying to find that comfortable spot where they both can exist without one eliminating the other. So that's one of the most important things I would ask people to think about. It's, it's not always so black and white. And uh, making a decision that causes the loss of a species is a pretty weighty thing. So we all need to keep that in mind. Finding that balance is so important. That's right. Yeah, it's true in everything in life. I think. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there a website uh, where folks can go to learn more about their red knot? There's the Conserve Wildlife Foundation of New Jersey's website, which has uh, a lot of nice information about uh, Delaware Bay shorebirds and the ongoing work that DEP is doing in conjunction with Conserve Wildlife Foundation. There's another place where folks can go. It's www.bandedbirds.org. That's uh, a website where that houses all of our um, information on the individually marked shorebirds that we put little flags on their legs. You can see them with a telescope or a spotting scope. And you could report data there. You could see where these birds have been. It returns a nice little Google map. And so you can get an idea of how far these birds are migrating. It's, it's pretty slick. Yeah, that sounds very cool. Yeah, very it is cool. cool. Well, Mandy, I thank you so much for joining us today, taking time out of your very busy schedule to uh, come up to Trenton to our studios. And uh, amazing uh, bird. If it could acquire frequent flyer miles, it could probably <laughs> fly first class on its normal trip on any airline in the world. <laughs> So I appreciate your taking the time out and uh, sharing with us your knowledge and your passion for protecting this important endangered bird. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, but it's you guys at DEP that really help make it happen. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.